Welcome to the Nerd Degree Shipping Balls, a tribute, a heartfelt tribute to the vehicle that was a nerdy touchstone for Harry Potter's broomstick was even a twinkle in J.K. Rowling's eye, and his cooler, an X-Wing pilot blowing something up and then flying through the explosion like it ain't no thing, the spaceship, in both less time than and over a shorter distance than 12 past X. <laughs> we'll warp slash jump slash power up the infinite improbability drive to take a tour of their transportation method that will one day take us to interstellar space any minute now it's 2017 and we're still using the push mower god damn it <laughs> two teams are ready for a battle beyond the stars will one engage ludicrous speed and leave the other one standing helplessly in their own artificial gravity or should we just take off and nuke the site from orbit to be sure I'm Ben Allen and I'll be your captain on this journey to the event horizon Somebody must have told them about my little manoeuvre at the Battle of Tanab. <laughs> I'm joined by two teams, two uh, intrepid crews tonight. To my right, uh, I would like you guys to introduce yourselves. Yes, yes, activate the neutronium transmogrifier. Can I, sorry, can I just pause for a second? Yes. I just hosted an episode. I didn't have a smoke machine, I didn't have a lighting display. What well, happened? that's because spaceships are cool, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's lamer than friendship, <laughs> Nothing. Team to my right, I would like you to introduce... Yes! More light. I would like you to introduce yourselves. I would like to tell, uh, I would like you to tell us all what your ideal role on a Starship crew would be and why. Hello, my name's Scott. Uh, I'm a marriage celebrant. And I, uh, I think on a, uh, a spaceship, my ideal role would be at the, at the helm. I'm naturally quite a lazy person, so it's a bit of a sit-down job. Not too much physical activity involved. And, and we're, 2017, we've basically got driverless cars right now. So I'm sure in the, in the future, when they, when they build spaceships, they'll be driverless spaceships. So it'll be more of a ceremonial role, right. really. Just no work thing. involved. Yeah, good, good. My name's Andrew, and I'm an animator. And if I was on a, uh, on a starship, I think my role would be... Um, I wouldn't mind actually being the robot that just kind of looks after the ship while everyone else is asleep. You know, nice, quiet, low-stress role. Fill those millions of hours. Like genocidal Michael Fassbender. Yeah, from, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. like that, but I think I can find ways to entertain myself that won't make me go insane and genocidal in the okay, meantime. Okay, that's good, good. And uh, what would your team be called tonight, guys? Uh, together we are known as the Millennial Falcons. Millennial Falcons, give them a round of applause. And over on my left. Yes! More lights! It's disorienting. I, I am Brendan Minutes. I'm a, uh, uh, a playwright and an improviser. And um, you know, the, the role that really appeals to me is the uh, transporter operator. Just, it just seems very calming, just kind of standing there quietly for like, you know, 23 and a half hours of the day. And then just every now and then people come and you beam them down to a planet. And... Um, you but, never have to go because you can, you can always be like, oh, do you guys need me to go with you? But then if they say yes, you can be like, well, actually, I actually need to stay here. <laughs> Someone has to man the controls. So yeah. you guys, you can offer, but you never have sure. to deliver. Cool. And to Brenda's right. Kia ora, my name's Moira Tamaira. I'm a librarian and a writer. And I think I would be the ethnic comic relief <laughs> on a spaceship. It's an important I, role on any starship. I, I, 
you know, until, you know, I'm probably going to be one of the first to die, let's be honest. But, you know, I think I'll... I'm glad you're aiming high, Martha. Don't worry, Martha. I'll go with you and protect... Actually, (laughs) (laughs) this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Oh, dear. Um, But, like, as a job, I think I would have something that would be kind of, like, easy but not important, like probably keeping the stocks of freeze-dried meal packets... Replenish. Quartermaster. Yeah, Quartermaster. like stuff supplies. Why is he? Why is he being down to the planet for like death? I don't be down to the planet. Okay. I stay on the ship. But this is true. Like on the on those big like American aircraft carriers, there's like a person on that who their entire job is stocking vending machines. Like you're in the navy. You're on an aircraft carrier. You're in t- What do you do? I stock vending machines. Join the navy. The they said. See the world. They said. <laughs> See the inside of the vending machine, they said. Uh, and tonight, guys, your team will be called... Gen X-Wing. Gen X-Wing. <laughs> Give a round of applause. Gen X-Wing. <laughs> Somehow this has turned into a generational battle without me intending it to. Okay, and I'm joined tonight by the ship's computer. Ship's computer, are you there? Yes. Good evening, Ben. This is the ship's computer speaking. Are all systems nominal? All navigation systems are online for the time being. Um, <laughs> that is, if everything goes to plan, which probably is quite unlikely. What do you put the odds of that at ship's computer? Uh, probably 4,720 to 1. Thank you. Never tell me the odds. Okay. <laughs> We're on to the first round tonight. The nerd quotient. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Jen X-Wing. How did the brains... It's very smoky in here. How did, the, how did the brains from Thunderbirds save Star Wars for everyone? Uh, well, there is a brains, a character called yeah. Brains in Thunderbirds. Are we talking about the character or the actor? Who, or the I brains who created it. Deliberately, you oh, might have yeah. picked up on the fact that my question was ambiguous. Um, what, in the original script of Star Wars, was there going to be, were they going to use like marionettes? And then they realised, oh, and they, and they, but George Lucas had the great idea that all the actors would have like strings attached to them and, and would only move their like their lower lip to when they spoke. Well, but, a little bit early because Yoda was a puppet, of course. That's true. Uh, that's true. But the, he didn't show up to the Empire Strikes Back. So this is, this is Star Wars 1977 I'm talking about. Gene X, do you have any ideas? Is the, uh, the voice actor for Brains? Not quite. Uh, not quite. It was a was a personnel uh, member of the of the Thunderbirds team that we're looking at. Not the actual brains. I'll give you a clue there. Not the actual brains. It was one of the creative personnel. G- Jerry Anderson. Anderson. A friend of Jerry Anderson. Oh, that's the only one I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we could be doing this all night. But um, but basically, uh, Jerry Anderson's mate uh, Brian Johnson, who is the designer, uh, who worked with him on Thunderbirds and basically came up with most of the spaceships. Uh, he had a pretty glittering career. He later was the um, SFX supervisor for Alien, uh, as well as later for The Empire Strikes Back. But before he got his way over to Star Wars, he was uh, working on Jerry Anderson's other lesser-known series, his live-action series, um, Space 1999. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 I think you guys remember that. Okay. Did remember any, any of Space 1999? They did, so didn't they, they lived on the moon? Yes. And they, they like had to propel, they were travelling on the moon trying to find a new... That's right, like the moon was knocked out of orbit yeah. or something and it was flying through space and Martin Landau was there. That's pretty much all I can remember about it. <laughs> um, but, that, but that ran from 1975 to 1977 and um, the model makers on Star Wars 
uh, scrapped their original model for the Millennium Falcon when they realised that, that the design looked too much like the Eagle Shuttle from Space 1999. And so they scrapped the original model entirely and converted it to the one that we know and love today as the universe's greatest spaceship of all time. Um, <laughs> but, because Star Wars was a very cheap production and they, they didn't want to throw anything away, they had already built the model, they reused it. Does anyone know what they reused it as in Star Wars? It's the original design for the Millennium Falcon. Is it like the head of that robot bounty hunter or something like that? No, although I'll give you some points for that, Brendan, because they did reuse that prop over and over again. <laughs> and it shows up about four times in Star Wars. Um, the original model of the Millennium Falcon, in fact, became Princess Leia's ship. Ah, the Tent of Four, as seen at the start. Yes, yeah. and you get a point as well, Mark, uh, for knowing what it's called. Well, that's pronounced Tent of V. Tent of V, yes. Let's go to the Empire Coffee Coffee Radio. Um, is, it, is it Tent IV 4? So yeah. it's like it's like Tent IV, and then you explain what the Roman numeral means. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, actually, and, and, and Star Wars was inspired by Thunderbirds to use numbers in the names of its ships, like Tent of V 4. <laughs> Thunderbird 4. For example, Thunderbird 3 is another example. Uh, numbers oh, numbers are, a, are a key thing throughout mm. Star Wars. Mm, exactly. yeah, lots of no one thought of using numbers before no. Thunderbirds. <laughs> it's revolutionary. Yeah, yes. so because they built that as a hero, that was going to be the hero ship, was going to be Millennium Falcon. The model that they built for Princess Leia's ship is, in fact, much larger than the Star Destroyer, which swallows it up. Wow. <laughs> That's movie trickery. That they, yeah, there you go. What strange time compression effect features in the film Star Trek Into Darkness? Strange time compression. Yes. Um, it felt like I was in the movie theatre for like six hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pain is real. Yeah. I'll give you some points for that, Brendan. Uh, would you like to let, you know, have another... Did, any other the, I mean, there is time travel in that. Uh, I vaguely remember the plot of this, where um, the... the, um, the no, am I thinking of the wrong one? You are thinking of the wrong one. It's all blurring the, together. The big sort of... But at the end... Uh, no, it's all weird. Well, there is, there is time travel where they, they tra- the, 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 the screenwriters travel back in time to the early 80s and steal the plot <laughs> from Wrath of Khan. The original Wrath of and then Only to make it worse by a factor of about 12. Is it just plot inconsistencies? Like, how did, that, how did he get from here? Well, we, to here? we are looking for, we are, we're looking for a, uh, a physical reality that the film doesn't quite account for. <laughs> Like, like the fact that you never see anyone going to the toilet, so how do they get there and back in time for this scene? How do they travel to the toilet in time? <laughs> <laughs> so in the film, uh, when the Enterprise is racing back to Earth uh, to try and warn them about uh, evil Robocop uh, in that film, Peter Weller, uh, they're knocked out of light speed by that ship at a distance, they say, is 237,000 kilometres away from Earth which is less than one second's travel at light speed from Earth, but never mind. Um, so they then, after a series of shenanigans, they lose engine power, and there's, there's suddenly a drama because their ship is suddenly sucked into Earth's gravity and pulled down towards the planet, uh, which is all very exciting, except that from 237,000 kilometres, the Enterprise or any stationary object would take about 80 hours to fall into Earth's atmosphere. <laughs> So the film presumably skips over a lot of the crew sitting around waiting for this to happen and then just cuts back for them to... Kind of like that bit in Austin Powers where the, it's a really guy getting run over really, really slowly. No! slowly. Someone's 80 hours of... No! <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there is a little bit... I presumably we skipped over some things there. Um, next question is for Millennial Falcons. Uh, what simple space station maintenance error in January of 2014 
ended up costing approximately 330,000 US dollars. That's not really much considering how much other accidents in space cost, is it? So no, space is horrendously expensive, yeah. as we might talk about a little bit later. Did yeah, somebody I mean, like space in Auckland, for one. <laughs> Slightly less than the average NASA budget to buy a, house, to buy, to buy a three-bedroom house in Epsom now. But, um, did, did, did they have some, uh, some food that they, uh, they needed to, like, they hadn't finished from the meal and they wanted to store it and they needed something to you know seal it up and wrap it fresh. So they, they took some foil from, from the, <laughs> the, the solar panels um, to wrap it up, not realising that it was actually needed for... I'm not sure if highly station. trained astronauts would make that error. <laughs> but you never know if pressure gets to people. Was it they sent up an astronaut or a probe or something that was like one gram overweight and it cost them another... 300,000 or whatever? The, the, the weight of space is about $10,000 per pound or something, I think it costs to get into space. But we're, I'll, I'll give you a clue, we're not actually talking about a real space station. We're talking about a fictional space station. Oh. Nevertheless, there was a real-world dollar cost of about Oh, oh okay. Um, oh, wait. Was it the guttering? <laughs> something to do with the guttering? You know, the like guttering, you, you know, like the spouting out. of yeah, the space station. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, just thinking, I'm just thinking about... The injury to Harrison Ford in Force Awakens was like a malfunction. Wasn't it a malfunctioning prop? Oh, so the like the yeah, the door of the Millennium Falcon fell on his leg. <laughs> when that, shut that down must have production cost them. for a long time. Uh, yeah, probably cost more than that. I yeah. think. What I'm looking for though is, uh, uh, as 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 all uh, space related questions with high dollar values, come back to Eve Online, um, the role play, space role playing game. Oh. Um, so a single EVE Online player in 2014 failed, mistakenly failed to make a scheduled payment to the in-game security force in January 2014. That essentially lost the system the space station was in uh, its protected status, which triggered an invasion as part of an ongoing feud between powerful rival player factions. That led to a two-day two -day real-time space battle um, now known as the bloodbath of BR5RB. Um, 7,548 players were involved at the peak, which is the, the biggest uh, simultaneous online game, pretty much, at any, of any record in history. Um, uh, the, the battle collectively destroyed 576 capital-class ships and some additional 3,150 sub-capital ships with a collected value of about 11 trillion ISK, which is the in-game currency, and because you can effectively buy the in-game currency with real-world money, that translates to about $330,000 US dollars that, <laughs> that went up in virtual smoke over two days. So this was basically an, an online protection racket, right? Yes. You had to pay off... That's right. The, the same, th same... No, something similar happened in Sims Online, where people would set up a protection racket... Where, where, like Sims Online is meant to be a completely friendly uh, <laughs> game, but there was a there was an exploit in it where if you um, if you gave someone something and they put it in their house, you then had the power to delete their house. Um, so people would that seems people like would, a failure of the game system. Yeah. People would be like, "Here, have this pot plant." People would be like, "Thanks, put it in your house," and then they'd say, "Now you need to pay me money, or I will delete your house." <laughs> um, yeah, that Sims Online got so corrupt, there was like a prostitution ring running <laughs> inside it. Wow. Yeah. We just can't have nice things. <laughs> Humanity just ruins everything. 
I think going online ruins everything. <laughs> what, what if, like, you know, that whole thing about how we're living in the Matrix and the, world, the universe is actually a simulation? What if we are living in a massively multiplayer online game and uh, that that the the beings outside of this reality are actually playing? That's what Elon Musk thinks. Yeah. He thinks we're in one right now. He says it's the only possible explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's on, like, Trump's advisory council yeah, at the yeah. moment. <laughs> He's gone now. He's quit because they put it out of Harrison Gordon. But bonus question there. I, I, I alluded to that. We talk about this. Speaking of money, space money. What did NASA throw away 134 times at a cost of over seven billion dollars? Any team that can give me this? The hopes and dreams of a nation. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. So they, they threw something they away. They threw it away. 134 times. 134 times. They made a new one every time. Was it like a space boomerang? <laughs> they, no, there has actually been there was a study to see if boomerangs worked in zero gravity and they do there's a good use of scientific funding <laughs> they're not space boomerangs not space boomerangs it was, it was space equipment isn't it they, aren't they running out of space suits they're running out of a lot of things uh, they made a whole batch they made a whole of spacesuit suits and they're starting to wear out now and they've only got a few left that are 134 times was actually the number of times they threw away the space shuttle's external fuel tank, which was... Oh, they always... Um, which was deployed. It, yeah. it was the only part of the space shuttle system that was not re, uh, reusable. And every time they had to make yeah. a new one, it cost between 55 and $75 million. Uh, that they, wow. they so 134 of those crashed into yeah. the Indian Ocean. You're going to want to just follow along behind them, picking them up like someone like recycling cans. <laughs> <laughs> Put them in your shopping trolley and then wheel them back to NASA. And you get five cents for every one. <laughs> so, so the space shuttle, of course, wrapped up in 2011. It was actually this is like the legacy of the space shuttle now is, of course, obviously in the question, but it was invented or envisioned in the 70s as a supremely cheap way of getting humans into space very frequently. And they originally, when they designed it, they thought it would fly 50 missions a year into space, and each time it would cost $20 million. And in fact, the average was it flew four missions a year at a cost of about $1.5 billion per launch. Uh, so uh, in, in, two, in 2002, NASA was scouring eBay <laughs> in order to buy old electronic equipment which contained the obsolete chips that were the only thing that could keep the space shuttle running. So they bought up a whole bunch of obsolete medical equipment and things like that so they could get the computer chips that were no longer uh, functioning. And when the, when the last uh, shuttle mission was launched in 2011, uh, the flight computer on the Atlantis, which was the final mission, had less than 1% of the computing power of an Xbox 360. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it was a little bit, uh, little bit dubious to record the space shuttle. Who flew the space start? The Astro Dasher and Starfire 1. Early in their career, but after a series of unfortunate events, is now permanently broken. Space start? Space start. Astro Dasher. Astro Dasher and Starfire 1. Starfire 1. And this entity is now broken. Now broken. Permanently broken. Hmm. Still kicking around though. Was it an Xbox 360? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, Space Start flew in 1984, if that helps you. They actually flew one, one year after the other, 1984. Well, that rules me out. And 1986. It wasn't you, Brendan, I yeah. can tell you now. I was only four. Yeah. But you shouldn't let that limit your ambition. <laughs> uh, so the Space Start 
was presumably just Nessa's project of folding a really large piece of paper and firing it up into the space. Uh, Astro Dasher was, of course, like a robotic reindeer <laughs> pulling a space center. And um, Starfire One sounds like sounds um, like a transformer, like, really, doesn't it? Or like a yeah, or a, or like a early two thousands website provider. <laughs> <laughs> like I think I did have a I think I did have a website yeah, on Starfire. Starfire account. Account. <laughs> Geocities, Geocities, and Starfire. Abelio Falcons, any idea over here? We mentioned Transformers. It's in the, I'll, I'll give you guys a clue just because I like you more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mentioned Transformers. It's in that realm of, of toys. Maybe it'll help you guys as well. That was uh, a little Buzz Lightyear toy that was on. Oh, the 80s, Buzz Lightyear. 80s, so. A bit OG, more OG than Buzz Lightyear. Is it? What does OG mean? Original gangster. Oh right. <laughs> Scott Corey's a nerd, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, because it. Um, GI Joe. That was around that time. Not quite. They had lots of cool, cool yeah. ships or. Um, the, Flash Gordon. Toys. Or was it like, a, like was it like some Chinese like knockoff Transformers like the Go the box. trans changes? <laughs> what if I told you Space Dart, Astro Dasher, and Starfire One are all Lego kits? So, oh, this is this part oh, of your obsession the... with the eighties Lego Spaceman? Eighties oh. Lego Spaceman yeah. guy, Benny the Spaceman <laughs> from oh. the Lego Movie, <laughs> aka nineteen eighty something Space Guy. His first appearance was in the Space Dart set of nineteen eighty four. That was the first appearance of a blue spaceman. Uh, previously, it was only uh, white, uh, black, yellow, or red spacemen. And uh, he uh, sub- subsequently appeared in the Lego film, of course, um, with the cracked helmet and faded logo yeah. of, okay. of the, uh, the, the classic 90s spaceman that tend to be where they broke. And now if you buy a new Lego set uh, from the Lego movie, um, he's pre-broken. <laughs> So he's like pre-worn jeans. So he's brand new, but he's got a cracked helmet and a faded logo already. So he's he's permanently broken, even when you get him brand new. Can, uh, I, can I just check, Sen? Did you know the answer to that one? I did actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The computer could have helped you with that one. <laughs> Sorry, computer. I think you were just boiling in the box there. Speaking of uh, the ship's computer, that brings us to the end of the nude quotient round. Ship's computer. What are the scores looking like? Uh, well, it's uh, kind of like a chase through an asteroid field at the moment. Um, the Millennial Falcons, five points, and Gen X-Wing, steaming ahead with seven points. Oh. Seven points, and ahead. Uh, yes, steaming ahead with steam, that classic spaceship propulsion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next round, we're going to go to the homework round. Now, I asked uh, the teams or the players tonight to focus on the various elements of the, uh, the life of of living on board a spaceship and compose a little bit of original fiction. So I'm going to go over here and start with Andrew. Andrew, I asked you to, to write us a little story about the romance, the romance of life right. on board spaceships. Yep. Uh, if you could, uh... Sure, I thought what could be more romantic than a bit of poetry. Sure, great, fantastic. Oh, it's a bit ribald, though. Oh. Yes. Behold the dark expanse of space, the wide uncharted skies, and now a spaceship penetrates it. Yes, the starship Enter Thighs. <laughs> The mission to go boldly where no earthling had yet been. The captain, just the dashingest the galaxy had seen. (laughs) Wherever he did set his foot, on planet, ship or moon, his regulation-breaking charm made those he liberated swoon. Who could resist this cosmic Casanova, should he call? Not earthlings, bots, nor aliens, 
he had seduced them all. <laughs> Rugged armoured lobster men, beguiling green-skinned lasses, even polyp-covered tentacled, pulsating, steaming masses. <laughs> and yet the one who loved him most was right there with his crew. But she had to be professional. Oh, if he only knew! <laughs> Each day she watched him longingly, his secret devotee, in fervid silence musing, how to get Senpai to notice me. Oh, Captain, I am green, but it's with envy, not my skin. Workplace conduct is my rugged shell. My lust pulsates within. <laughs> and so the mission carried on, her mind a lust-filled fog, and never once was she a steamy entry for the Captain's log. <laughs> <laughs> but when the mission ended, when that final port arrived, it was time to put in action a new plan that she'd contrived. No longer Captain... He could not deliver the commands because she was the living ship herself. He didn't stand a chance. She beamed her crew down to the port, ex-captain trapped on board, then jumped to hyperspace and to infinity they soared. Andrew, everybody, yeah! Remarkably romantic. Uh, now, Moata, I believe I asked you to compose a little something to uh, tell us about the danger the danger of living on spaceships. Yes, I have. And um, mine is inspired in a weird sort of way by the late, great Carrie Fisher. Um, so if you're familiar with her, then you, you may understand where I'm going with this one. Uh, the danger. The trip had started peacefully enough. Once they'd left atmosphere, she checked all the critical systems were copacetic and their route was correctly entered before unstrapping and making her way back to the crew quarters. Her long, dark hair fanned out from her expensively, sucking nearly all the CGI budget with it as she floated <laughs> down the corridor. So she reached into the pocket of her flight suit for one of the several thousand elastic tie hair ties that she owned, but she only knew the location of about five of them and twisted her hair up into a bun. She went straight to her cabin. She hadn't told anyone what she was up to, and if her little experiment went wrong, she wanted to deal with it in private even if that meant endangering herself. It had been less than five minutes since they'd reached zero G. She figured she had another ten minutes before she knew for sure, and then she'd be safe. What to do with what might be the last ten minutes of her life? Not Candy Crush, not Candy Crush, not Candy Crush. Sudoku <laughs> it was then. Fifteen minutes later, she realised it was fifteen minutes later. She wasn't dead. She wasn't even uncomfortable. Those sons of britches. She preferred to say sons of britches over the usual phrase as she felt it was more insulting to say someone was spawned from a pair of pants than from an actual lady. <laughs> They'd lied. They'd all been lying for years. That old boys' club of space jockeys that she could never quite break into with their rules and their edicts. Once upon a time it had been, women on ships are bad luck. And when that couldn't keep them out, you can't wear a bra in space because it will strangle you in zero gravity. <laughs> but here she was, in her best bend on balconet, and death was not happening. Well, not yet. And not to her. Well, I show you both. That was, that was an actual quote from George Lucas, wasn't it? That, yes, that um, Princess Leia could not wear a bra under her white diaphanous dress because in zero gravity your body expands, but your underwear doesn't, and so your bra would strangle you. 
<laughs> Which sounds exactly Check what, what sounds a director like would say to a 19 year old to make it not work. No one in the film is ever in zero G. Yeah, never. Never. Doesn't matter, Brendan. It's just the universe. It's the, within the good point. Fictional, whatever. That was an amazingly patriarchal close stuff. Uh, round. I, I particularly loved Andrew's euphemistic use of the phrase "captain's log." But, uh, <laughs> but I think, in the honour of Carrie Fisher, I'm going to have to give it some points to Moata there, everybody. Give Moata a round of applause. Uh, okay, we're on to the next round, which is called "That's No Moon." And in That's No Moon, I'm going to give each team a comparison of uh, uh, statistics from fictional spaceships uh, as compared with real-life measurements and uh, weights. And you're going to tell me if the statement is true or false. So, Gen X-Wing, I would like to start with, with you. Tell me if this is true or false. Darth Vader's flagship, the Super Star Destroyer Executor, as seen in The Empire Strikes Back, it's longer than the country of Liechtenstein. This is oh, north want, to south. Yeah, I want to say yes. Like, it's, it was so big. When you see it next to the, the Death Star, Death Star is as big as a small moon, right? And the executor, when you see it crashing, it's like you can see the curvature of the Death Star. Mm. Therefore, it must be massive. But we just found out that that... Blockade Runner was actually bigger yeah. than the ship. I don't know what to think now. It's a good point. Well, I mean, we are talking about within the universe rather than That's based right. on the models that were created That's for right. it. Uh, I think yes, but you decide. What? No. Let's go with... It's true. Not quite. No. Oh, false. what? No. no, the official measurement of the executor is 19 kilometres. Whereas Liechtenstein, north to south, is about 25 kilometres. So. What is it, east to west? East to west is about 6 kilometres. Oh, wow. So it's much longer than Liechtenstein is wide, but I didn't ask that. So if it landed on top of Liechtenstein, <laughs> yeah. it would get most of it. It would get most of it. <laughs> Bad news for Liechtenstein. Uh, Millennium Falcon. Uh, the reboot version of Battlestar Galactica, uh, the recent television series, is armed with more nuclear warheads than Israel. The actual... The, the Battle the Star itself. Yeah. It has more warheads, nuclear warheads, than Israel. Do they use nuclear warheads on that show? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's lots of flashy, okay. flashy things sometimes. Um, <laughs> means about, uh, I mean, you don't need, like, as a nation with nuclear arms, you don't need, you basically just need one, really. Most, I mean, <laughs> tell that to the United States. Exactly, they have more they need. I mean, I imagine that Israel probably has. Maybe they've got one for each country. Well, <laughs> one for each other country. <laughs> it, you could probably take out three countries with one nuke in some places. Yeah, yeah. especially Liechtenstein. Yeah, and uh, I don't recall them actually mentioning it. I feel like that's, that it, it feels likely, like. It's the kind of thing yeah, they probably would have given it the same amount of nukes that the US has, wouldn't they? <laughs> you know, just because the, the viewers will be familiar with that number of nukes as a suitable... Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's like, how much has it got? It's got an America's worth of nukes. <laughs> oh, wow. One standard America. What do you think, guys? I mean, I'm, I'm, thinking, it's, thinking, it's, I'm thinking it has... What was the phrasing? It's, it's more than more, the nuclear warheads in Israel, Trevor. What if it's the same number? Oh, man... <laughs> Maybe it's like an, a metaphor. You're psyching yourselves out now. I, I think it's got more. I think it's got more. more yeah. I think it's true. No, it doesn't. No. Hold on, Ben. Yep. 
I don't, I don't think Israel has ever confirmed that it does no, have nuclear weapons. No, it can't, but there, there, are, there are some very uh, <laughs> widely confirmed estimates that they have about 80. I've got about 80. The Battlestar Galactica, unfortunately, only has seven. That um, you know about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might have some unconfirmed <laughs> as well. well. They had as many as the United Military, States. There's no room for people. <laughs> well, that ship was about to be decommissioned, wasn't it? Was. it? So that's why they only had five. They had five, and then they got as many as seven. Uh, but they never had more than seven. But maybe they're going to decommission it by blowing it up <laughs> with, with like 100 nukes strategically placed around the ship. Okay, Jen, next one. Uh, next one for you. The maximum speed of the Millennium Falcon in atmosphere is slower than that of an F-16. <laughs> okay, so all we have to do is remember that bit in Force Awakens where it flies through the atmosphere mm-hmm. and compare that mentally with our recollections of Top Gun. Which was moving faster. Right, right. That's what you're 14. That's okay, girl. Goose! I'm a little goose flashback, I'm sorry. Goose. Goose is the Chewbacca. Goose is the Chewbacca of Top Gun, basically. Don't make me cry. No! Because Chewbacca's still alive. (laughs) He's so wounded, though, Brendan. He can't be the hand solo of Top Gun, can he? Because that's obviously Maverick. (sighs) I can't even remember what the question was. (laughs) Is it slower than the F-16 in the atmosphere or not? True or false? Have a guess. Yeah, we think so. Yeah, we think so. It is slow. Well done. Give them the points. Give them the points. No, the Falcon in an atmosphere can only manage 1,050 kilometers per hour. Hang on, Uh, hang on. In Force Awakens, they were traveling at at light speed and then dropped out. Yeah, but that's Han Solo flying, man. So for some portion of the atmosphere, they were traveling at light speed. Yeah, but that's not recommended. <laughs> you have to be very precise on the switch. Very, very precise. Yeah, the F-16 can hit over Mark 2, which is about 2,450 kilometres per hour, uh, but it can't manage 2,714 light years per hour in hyperspace, which Millennium Falcon can do. I don't think it can do any hyperspace. No. no. Mm. You know, uh, confirm. <laughs> uh, Millennium Falcon, a Borg assimilation cube, Ooh. has a greater total volume than Lake Taupo. <laughs> wow, that's good. It's quite a deep lake, but what do you reckon the length of one of those? Talking cubic kilometres. If we're talking volume and sound, then no, because there's no sound in space. <laughs> <laughs> we are not <laughs> talking volume in cubic kilometres. Ah, oh, but but cubic, only one of them is a cube. <laughs> <laughs> that could factor in. That could factor in. I'm not saying it does. I am saying um. it does not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's monstrous. I reckon Topor is... Like, I reckon it's... Like Topor. I think it has a, like a larger area than one face of the cube. But because it'll be like shallow at the edge and then it'll go deep in the middle, I reckon mm. it'll... Like the footprint will be bigger, but I reckon mm. it'll be a smaller volume of water. That's my, mm. my own thoughts well, on no, the I subject. I think it might go quite deep, actually. Why don't you guys argue about this for another hour? We'll see. <laughs> and do all the fish lay your like, like the count part of the volume. <laughs> all the fish in the ball cube. <laughs> Presumably, they have assimilated assimilate some kind of fish creature fish. as well. A little fish with a little ear with a little eyepiece on it. Swim back to one of those electrolytes. Okay, guys, I have good heads to ask you for an answer. You've watched more Star Trek than me. What do you think? Uh, I, but I haven't. I've never fished in like 
I brought her. And <laughs> <laughs> my, my my gut is is telling me that um, you should cook the fish you get from Red Lake Tahoe before you eat it. But I I, I think Borg Cube it, because. Um, <laughs> please, please, Ben, I'll do anything. Okay, yeah, We're just going to have to show you. Okay. cube? No. No. Lake Tambor has a water volume of about 59 cubic kilometres. Whereas the Borg cube can only boast about 28 cubic kilometres. Uh, but it does hold the record for being the spaceship for which it is easiest to calculate the total volume. <laughs> <laughs> Couple more, GDX, this one's for you. A single Star Wars turbo laser is calculated to have a power output greater than that of the total installed electricity generation summer capacity of the United States of America. True. Next question. <laughs> Brenda is right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, so people have calculated that through incredibly close nerdly scrutiny of the scene in the Empire Strikes Back in which they are blowing up asteroids. By estimating the size of the asteroid, the chemical composition of the asteroid, <laughs> and the approximate energy needed to vaporise it in a single blast. And uh, they've concluded that it has sustained firepower of about 30 terawatts. Except we know that the special effects designers replaced one of the asteroids with a potato. With a potato. <laughs> <laughs> so it only might have the strength of a microwave. So one tumor laser bolt, one tumor laser bolt, one zap. It's calculated to have about Again, half, microwave. The, <laughs> half the energy of the Hiroshima atomic bomb uh, is coming down on you. Jesus, and last one for you guys, William yeah. Falcons. Okay. The Enterprise D yes. had at least as many children on it as are contained in two average-sized New Zealand <laughs> primary school classes. <laughs> There's more children on the spaceship. There are more children on the spaceship. Yeah. Andrew, ladies and gentlemen. So it's very hard to get the accurate figures of that, but if you if you have enough time to count unnamed child and teenage extras on the Star Trek wiki, which I did, you get at least you get at least fifty seven individuals. Whereas the OECD stats puts New Zealand's average class size at twenty five, so it's got more. So those kids have pretty much all got PTSD, as far as I can work out. Spending the entire run of that show on that spaceship when everything's going bad. Ben, Ben, question. Um, when you were asking about the volume of like people before, <laughs> were you talking about present day or, or in the future with the, over time? Because, of course, with climate change, uh, the actual size had, uh, you know, some of the water had evaporated due to. The important thing is that the ball cube landed in Lake Taupo, 28 cubic kilometres of water would be displaced, and Archimedes would probably say Eureka or something like that. Okay, that brings us to the end of that round. Ship's computer, are you still awake? Uh, <laughs> what is I the am. score? Generation X Wing. 11 points, but I have a feeling Millennial Falcons may need to repair their hyperdrive because they are on 7 points. Oh, give, give them a round of applause, everybody. <laughs> okay, on to the next uh, round of homework. Uh, Brendan, I've asked you to summarise the horror of Spaceship Life. A lifetime of planning and saving, and it's finally here. Your first trip to Mars. In just 10 months' time, you'll be standing on the red surface of the red planet. You board the ship and stow your space bag in the overhead space compartment space. Hmm, <laughs> an aisle seat. It'll give you a limited view of the inky blackness of space, but 
you will probably have to visit the bathroom six to nine hundred times during your trip, so this could be an advantage. You nod to your neighbour and you settle into your seat. This is it. 300 days of relaxing and watching approximately 7,200 episodes of The West Wing. <laughs> you, you click on your space seatbelt. Seems secure. And then, slowly, you lower your arm. But what's this? Not the cool plastic that you expected to find under your arm, but instead, a warm, sweaty, Flesh arm, my God! Your neighbor, he's already claimed the armrest. <laughs> Brilliant, everybody! Yes. And lastly, in the homework round, Scott, I have asked you to capture mm. the excitement. Yes. The excitement of spaceships. We set out from Earth aboard the Starship State-Owned Enterprise, <laughs> embarking on an exciting five-year mission to explore the galaxy, to seek out strange new worlds, new life, new civilizations, and so forth. As we leave the gravity well of our home, the ship's engines roar to life, and we begin our journey out into the great unknown at constant acceleration of 1G. What wonders are out there among the stars, waiting for us to discover them? Mission time. One week elapsed. We're tra- we've travelled so far, it's amazing. Going at constant 1G acceleration, in just seven days, we're already 500 million kilometres away from Earth. The sun is still the brightest thing in the sky, but it has receded to just one bright star among many. Mission time, one month elapsed. No sign of strange new worlds yet, but that's okay. It means I have plenty of spare time to binge watch all 117 seasons of The Simpsons. (laughs) Mission time, six months elapsed. Still no sign of strange new worlds, nor any new life. Actually, it's hard to see signs of anything at all, apart from lots of dim and distant stars in all directions. Mission time, one year elapsed. We've had our first case of a crew member going clinically mad from a combination of boredom and cabin fever. The ship's psychiatrist was very excited to have a job to do. (laughs) Mission time, two years elapsed. Still no sign of new life and or civilizations. Just lots and lots of empty space and darkness. Turns out the space is rather big and rather inefficiently used. <laughs> All things considered, I regard the fact that only three crew members have held themselves out the airlock in nihilistic despair as a relative victory. <laughs> Mission time, three years elapsed. A buzz of excitement is star- starting to stir among the, the crew as the first stop on our five-year journey, Proxima Centauri B, draws nearer. Mission time, three years, 192 days elapsed. The time is upon us. In just a few hours, we will reach Proxima Centauri B, a rocky Earth-like planet orbiting the closest star to the sun. The thrill of the unknown, of alighting on the shores of an undiscovered country, ripples through the whole ship. Mission time, three years, 193 days elapsed. This has been an historic day for humanity. First contact with another alien species. As the starship state-owned Enterprise approached Proxima Centauri B, our array of sensors detected life forms. Indeed, whole continents full of life, cities, technology, culture. If we can stay and attempt communication with this clearly intelligent and advanced civilization, it would advance humanity's understanding of the universe in untold ways. Mission time. Five years elapsed. Looking back, it was probably a mistake not to decelerate prior to arriving at Proxima Centauri B. <laughs> Travelling at relativistic speeds, our first encounter with intelligent alien life lasted about three seconds. My hope is that their inquisitive tentacles were lucky enough to detect the brief high-energy blur flash across the sky. I like to think that we might have inspired a new alien religion. And now we've been travelling in interstellar space again for more than a year. Nothing new to report, just lots of darkness and empty space. 
I think I need to take up a hobby. <laughs> Scottish Gillis. Well, we can certainly really appreciate the horror of Brendan's story, which would only be unleashed even more when the passenger in front reclined their seat, I think. <laughs> but uh, I have to give it to Scott because I would watch 117 seasons of The Simpsons. <laughs> Scott, ladies and gentlemen, give me a round of applause. Okay, we're going to a rapid round now of In Space. Everyone can actually hear a lot of things, apparently, uh, which is an audio round. Uh, I'm going to play some sounds, guys, and I would just like you to buzz in when you think you can identify the spaceship that is making this noise, or even just the movie from which it's based, well, we'll say the movie that it's coming from, uh, or TV series. Uh, bonus if you can name the spaceship as well. So here we have the first sound. Three, two, one. Andrew. Is it from Lost in Space? No. Oh. It is a self famous self-destruct sequence. It sounded like a bottle rocket. There's a lot of wind, which you have to wonder about in space. But uh, uh, no points for that one. That's the Nostromo blowing up at the end of Alien. Oh, oh, what? Yeah. yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible special effects. <laughs> for which we know that guy, Brian Johnson, won an Oscar. Uh, okay, <laughs> next one. Back out, ready? You look like you've got to buzz well, the bell. It just like the sound. Of, it sounded like they were like uh, leaving the docking bay, but like Very, crashing into the side. They were oh. leaving a docking bay. It was. So, so was it? Yes. Oh, oh, no. Sorry, sorry, Scott. Was I taking too long? <laughs> I, have to, I have to give it to the bell. I have to give it to the bell. I probably don't know anyway. But yeah. do you have an answer? No, I, you I, go. You, please, Scott. Oh, please. I was just going to say, is it, is it better to take a look? Yes. Let's assume that's what I was going to say. That, that was the scene where they, they, um, they loaded all their um, seat, you know, co- covert uh, nuclear arms <laughs> onto one of the fighters and they got really speedy launched it out. Yeah. That was uh, the Vipers launching a metal cycle. Okay, next one. A little bit easier, hopefully. Close encounters of a third kind. Yes, that is going to give her a round of applause. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was great. Planet Express ship from Futurama. Yes, crashing into the <laughs> screen at the start of the credits. Give her a round of applause. <laughs> Brenda. It's the Millennium Falcon failing to that jump into hyperspace. That is absolutely correct. Give her a round of applause. Here we go. Brendan. Space Invaders. Yes, it is Space Invaders. <laughs> More specifically, can you tell me maybe from that? Do you know what that exact sound that we were hearing was? I'll give it to you again. Oh, is it the 500 pointer going yes, on the top? Yes, it's the mothership going on the top. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, next one. Django Fett's ship blowing up asteroids. That is exactly right. Yeah. From Attack of the Clones, oh. seismic charges from Slave oh. 1. Very good, Andrew. Very good. Okay, I'm going to get... Okay, here we go. Ooh, Scott, was it? Uh, was that a door from the USS Enterprise? Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Get another round of applause. 
Uh, here's, here's a weird thing. So when I was looking up sounds for the... Uh, I actually found the door sound for the Star Trek Enterprise. So this guy was analysing... He, he wanted to know what this weird squeak at the end was. And he slowed it down. Slowed it down and uh, uh, decelerated the sound a bit. And this is what he get. If you listen to the end of this, this is the same sound at much slower speeds. Some dude says nothing at the end of it. The word nothing. The word nothing. <laughs> that is in every time you hear the Star Trek door opening, there is some guy saying nothing. Are you sure it's not saying nothing? It could be nothing. <laughs> it could be nothing. Oh my god, this is like a satanic message. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, a couple more. Here we go. This one's a little bit trickier. Going home <laughs> to a messy reception. No, no, uh, there's, there's a kind of spinning down noise at the end if that helps anyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah, is it the oh, it's not a spaceship, it's kind of the DeLorean, but not no, the DeLorean. No. no, it sounds like a space battle going on. Yeah, this is a space is battle. it like it's the last starfighter or something? Yes, Brendan, oh. it is. <laughs> That is the sound of the death blossom when they deploy oh, the death blossom at the end yeah. and it goes woo, 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 woo. <laughs> Okay, and last one, which is possibly the hardest one of all. Here we go. Is it is it like the alien ship from ID four? Not uh, quite. Day? It is an aliens coming to Earth movie. Um, uh, what's the uh, the day the Earth stood still? No. Mars attacks. No. <laughs> District nine. District nine. Ah. That is when the alien. That's when the prawn ship leaves at the Prawns. end of District nine. So that was a rapid round. Uh, ship's computer. <laughs> Hi Ben. How did the scoring go in that one? Um, I've I've got a question if you don't mind. Oh sure, by um, all means. Just been thinking, of, you know, obviously being a computer, you get a lot of time to think. Yeah. Um, why was this episode called Spaceships and not Starships? Because the ships fly in space, not in stars. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's fair enough. I don't have any answer. <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking about it. I was like, oh. Oh, back to the scores. Oh, yeah, the right. scores. Yeah. Um, all right. Oh, oh, oh. Calculating, calculating. <laughs> it's a close one. In fact, scores are tied. At 15 oh. points, oh! Everything to play for going into the last round. A classic nerd degree round of who would win. Yes. Now, I've asked each team or each individual player to choose for themselves a starship, which is going to form their team of two, their wingman pair, which they're going to send into battle, verbal battle, against the other pair. So... Uh, Millennium Falcon, what two starships have you chosen? Well, Scott, what's your chosen starship? Um, I have chosen uh, the the great and wonderful Thunderbird 3. Thunderbird 3? Yes, and Andrew? 
And I've chosen the Lex from the TV show Lex. Lex from the weird Canadian German co-production Lex. Yep. Uh, and uh, Lex and Thunderbird 3 will be going up against Brendan. What is your ship? Uh, I've chosen the Nostromo. The Nostromo uh, the, the from, from Alien. That just, we're just here blowing up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> not an auspicious yeah. start. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and Moata? Um, I've chosen Serenity as oh. featured on my TV. Serenity. <laughs> Immediately, I have concerns that Gen X Wing have chosen two unarmed spaceships, but that's all right. Um, okay, so, uh, okay, Millennial Falcons, I would like to. Okay, you're going to battle. What are you going to do? What's going to happen? Tell us your opening moves. Well, about a minute. The first part of our strategy is to make our offence, which would be from the Lex, being a ship mm-hmm. that. Although it looks like a giant dragonfly, it can actually blow things up with a, an energy charge that it generates organically from inside itself and can take out multiple targets at once. So it's an organic discharge, is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Thunderbird, where's Thunderbird 3 on this? Well, the thing about Thunderbird 3 is that you, you don't often see it in the episodes. It's, it's very rarely deployed. So no one, no one ever expects Thunderbird 3. That's it's true. Sneak attack, because you, you, you might be looking for, you know, one or two, maybe four, but like three, like they won't see it coming. And people are excited to see it as well when it does come out. Very excited, very excited. Okay. So, uh, onlookers are excited. Also, it's red, and red, red things go fast. Red, okay. <laughs> uh, team uh, Nostromo uh, Firefly. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, we did choose two ships that don't have weapons, <laughs> yeah. and yes, maybe we just realised that. <laughs> but, but we are, like, we're the underdogs, and right. the underdogs uh, come through. So... I can, Thunderbird 3, we can take out of the, the equation straight away. Okay? Yep, how, how are you going to do that? Well, international rescue. Yeah. <laughs> they've got to rescue. Okay? They've got to, they've got, they hear a distress call, they've got to go in and help. That's true. And, and when you go in and help and you see a large egg, what have you got to do? You've got to stick your face in there <laughs> real close. <laughs> so. Okay. They're going to rescue a face hugger, that's what you're hoping. Okay, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what the Nostromo has to bring yep. to the table. And Serenity, well, you know, that crew's got a whole lot of heart and they fight for each other. So they are not going down without, a, you know, a fight. And they aim to misbehave, Ben. Okay. Yeah, we've got, we've got a whole lot of heart and a whole lot of chest. <laughs> so it's a, it's a heart-based attack. It's a Captain Planet kind of thing, right? What are you, how are you going to deal with this? What are you, what's your combat? What's Bre- your Brendan, combat? Brendan, I mean, okay, we... we yeah, Alan Tracy, pilot of Thunderbird 3, can't resist going to the rescue. He, he finds the egg, face hugger on the, on the face of the ship, uh, and it impregnates uh, an alien inside the ship. But you know the thing about the Thunderbirds? They, they know a thing or two about having things come out of other things. Uh, <laughs> Thunderbird 4 came out of Thunderbird 2 all the time, and, and in, in that vein, I think you'll find a, a, a new pod of sorts. Oh my God. It'll be like a, a, a hybrid. Uh, the bursting out of the chest of Thunderbird 3 will be this, this like, rocket with, like, two, two mouths uh, with, with acid for exhaust. This is going to play into the organic nature of the, the Lex, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's all part of the, the whole alien aesthetic of the, the union between these two ships. They start breeding. Yeah. Okay, they, they can, good. They can do that. So following the organic discharge, there's breeding. Okay. Okay, guys, guys, it's getting icky over here. Any strategies to cope with it? I know that the crew of the Serenity would be willing to strap a dead friend to the front of their spaceship in order to look badass and slip past 
the enemies. So, you know, I think that's a really strong yeah. commitment to winning. Yeah. You know, they'll do anything. They, yeah, they're willing to cut corners. And if you're willing to cut corners, you're willing to cut strings. <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, well, we've heard both arguments now of this uh, space battle. I'm going to have to ask you to decide who's going to win this one. Uh, Clint, now, if you think it's going to be uh, Lex and Thunderbird 3. <laughs> and Clint, now, you think it's going to be Serenity and Nostromo. Well, there we have it, the two unarmed ships win a space fight. <laughs> so I have to word the points to Gen X1, which brings us to the end of the show. Ship's computer, where do we end up? The Millennial Falcons. Everything was FAB for the start of that round. <laughs> but Gen X Wing, they were a leaf on the wind. And they took it away. Gen X Wing, 20 points to 15. Gen X Wing, give them a round of applause, everybody! <laughs> Thank you, there's another episode of the new degree. We'll see you all next time. Good night.